Mean Old Lion Media, where black and brown voices truly matter. Hello, 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 and welcome back to another episode of A Whole Mood. Last week, we brought on Dawn, and when I tell y'all, I was in here boohoo crying. This is like the fourth episode of me doing that. And I was just like, oh my God, Alon, like, you gotta pull it together. You gotta finish this episode. I become more cognizant, shall I say, that I don't want to become a broken record when it comes to telling my little sad songs or my sad stories. So it's always great to have like a fresh perspective, fresh new stories. That way y'all don't just hear my side because I only have my story to tell. So this week is a whole new guest. And this guest is another new friend that I met in LA. And I'm going to tell y'all this. Everybody I've been meeting in LA, they are transplants from where? Brooklyn, from New York. (laughs) Everybody I've been meeting is from New York or from down south or from the East Coast in general. I have not met an L.A. native, like, for real, for real, as of yet. So this friend, like, we hit it off. We met on, like, Facebook or whatever. I knew that it was kind of like a kinder spirit type of thing because we started talking about stuff, like, deep and heavy, like, from the very start. And he was like, bitch, am I in a therapy session? What is this? I'm like, yeah. And y'all already know what I do, only because... I do this show, and that's all we talk about. We talk about the heavy. We talk about the things that we need to unpack in the world. So I want to introduce to you guys Wilson Tifa. Hi, Wilson. Period. Thank you so much for having me, Alon. And I don't know why you're coming from New York so hard, but yes, I'm a proud Brooklynite, and I drink my water and my coffee. You're, we outside. Stop playing. And you eat your anyway. <laughs> bagel and your bacon, egg, and cheese, whatever. Bacon, egg, and cheese with salt, pepper. <laughs> I messed up there. It's been a minute. Uh, I'm losing my New York, my New York leg. Oh, geez. But thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be chatting with you. And you already know the realest people are from New York. So, you know, it's a blessing that you're meeting these transplants. That's all I'm saying. And exactly. It's like a little piece of home away from home. But no, I'm going to say this. My legs are hurting. I walked up my stairs today after yoga today. My legs felt like noodles. I was like, oh, Jesus, I'm sore. All them little knee workouts we was doing today. But you know what? Our booties are going to look good for the summer or whatever. And it's fine, you know? But a little self-care Sunday. Take a little hot bubble bath. Maybe a little clay mask or whatever. And, you know, keep it right. Keep it tight. Pain (laughs) is worth it, right? Beauty is pain. So that's it. God. Well, <laughs> this week, the last little note of annoying or anything that we're going to do on this theme, we're going to talk about shifts. And this episode is called Shift. It could be an annoying thing. Sometimes it could be a positive thing when you kind of shift plans or you shift perspectives or you shift your whole life. And y'all heard that from me like several times before. And I just thought no other person I can think of is Wilson because I feel like it's even stories we haven't even talked about yet. No, seriously. So (laughs) I'm ready to get into this. So first prompt I want to ask you, Wilson. I'm nervous. What's up? Our thoughts (laughs) on times where we had to shift our plans. So what's the first thing that comes to mind where you had to shift your entire plan? Oh, wow. That's a deep question. My whole life has <laughs> been a shift of plans, honestly. I was born in Dominican Republic before I went to the beautiful borough of Brooklyn. When I actually immigrated to New York, 
I, of course, didn't speak English. You know, my mom, my family, nobody spoke English. I was also one of the, I lived in Bedside, right? Bedside at the time. Well, I identified as Black, right? I was also Latino. So I didn't speak English, right? So it was rough for me being one of the only Latin people, right, in the neighborhood. Because I would get called so many names, like, you know, wetback and all these, like, you know, derogatory terms and stuff. And I vividly remember, actually, my first day of kindergarten, my brother and I, we actually have to take ESL classes. So... I remember kids, you know, like saying really mean things to us and we would get pulled out of classes in the middle of a period, right? I had to kind of shift my mindset, right? And really think of how am I going to learn, you know, this, this homework and, you know, do what I'm supposed to do, right? When I don't speak the language. And for me, it was honestly through a lot of like television, right? Um, I would only speak in English outside of the house, et cetera. So I had to shift my way of thinking, right? But with that came me losing my identity, right? So, mm. Yeah. I was never really in touch with my Dominican heritage, right? Because I had to assimilate to blend in, you know, and learn the language, right? So when people hear me and they're like, oh, you're from Dominican Republic, you don't have an accent, et cetera. Yeah, that's because I had to, in a sense, abandon my culture, right? To really um, learn the English culture. And um, for me, that was definitely one of the hardest things because I felt with that, I lost most of my identity, right? It was only when I was really 18, 19 that I really started, you know, actually hanging out with more Dominicans and like going to chill with my cousins, right, to learn about the language. And it's embarrassing, but I don't even know how to dance like bachata, right, really well. Unless I'm drunk, you give me some honey, hey, you know, the hip's going to be oh, swaying. Wow. But <laughs> this is a little personal, but my dad was an alcoholic. My brothers and I, we had to grow up really quick, right? At five years old, I was walking him to the liquor store and he would teach me how to hide his bottles in the closet, you know, just so my mom wouldn't see that. And me, I'm a child, right? So I had to really grow up quickly to be able to support my dad, right, and his substance abuse. When I was six years old, my dad, he actually left a bottle near one of the boilers in the basement, and it overheated and actually caused a fire. So then from there, we had to live in a shelter for about a year and a half. You know, I had to abandon all my friends and where I knew, live in a shelter, and then go to school with new kids, right, that I didn't know about. So it was that shift. It's a little rough. He passed away, right, when I was seven. And this is tough to say, but I'm a firm believer in things happening for a reason. Because following his death, I kind of had to become an adult. So literally, my family, right, we grew up on Section 8, welfare, et cetera. And I had to learn how to file paperwork, right? I had to memorize everyone's Social Security in the house, income, all the stuff. I'm seven. My mom would even pull me out of school to go translate for her. So I had to go to welfare, Section 8, et cetera, because we needed to survive. I helped my mom become a certified uh, babysitter too, right? She didn't have a certification, but I had to be an adult essentially, right? So I do feel like that shift, I lost some of my childhood, you know, along the way. What was that sudden shift like when it came to living in a shelter and going to school? Was it like a change in commute? Was it like a change in lifestyle? How did y'all bounce back from that? Like we had a tiny little refrigerator, right? In the um, unit. We weren't getting any income. My parents weren't working at the time because we didn't know when we would have our next meal. Like we had food, but it wasn't a constant, right? We never had a full refrigerator and things like that. So living in a shelter was hard because I remember vividly my dad, in order to support his alcohol addiction, he would literally not give us money for food. And my mom, she would have to add water to the milk. And she would even order like Chinese food once in a blue because Chinese food back in the day was like $5. And she would right. split a tray of Chinese food to feed me and my two brothers. And then she wouldn't even eat sometimes, right? And I, I saw that and it was really hard for me to see my mom, you know, being hungry. And with regards to like, you know, the school situation, my mom walked us to school every day. We would walk maybe 10, 20 blocks every day. It was sort of a school for kids who were in between home, but it was just really eerie. I don't know if you see Matilda, but it felt like Matilda type situation where it was like dark mm-hmm. and gloomy. 
And for me, it was hard because I didn't know anyone, right? And, I, you know, at this point, thankfully, I speak English, right? So that helped, but it was just hard because it wasn't a familiar area. You don't know how long this is going to last. Are we going to even get out of this, right? So that's something that my mom just carried on because she had to learn to really stretch money, right? Listen, homegirl could stretch $20 <laughs> for like a whole month, Wow. right? Even with inflation, a lot of that came from survival, right? So for me, I still carry this mindset of like, it was all a matter of survival, which eventually became a lifestyle later on, uh, following us living in a shelter. Those habits, right, as I mentioned earlier, it's, it's almost like a, like a poverty mindset, right? To an extent, um, I grew yeah. up in a situation and for me, I actually had to work, right? When I was 15, so I was making money, et cetera, but all my money would always go to paying bills, paying rent, and et cetera, to maintain my family because we don't want to live in the street. Later on, you know, after surrounding myself with different people, right, and, you know, graduating college and starting my career, I realized it's okay to, you know, go out and splurge, maybe go out to a restaurant, right, or travel. The big reason I have that mindset is because we didn't grow up going to restaurants. We didn't grow up spending money and going shopping. And I still remember it to this day, right? I would go to high school. I'm so grateful we had uniforms because, listen, Again, we were really poor. So um, I remember seeing kids come out with like the newest jackets and the newest sneakers, et cetera. And I was always like, I can't afford that. I can't treat myself to that. And I didn't start buying clothes really for myself, right, in a genuine way until I was about 22, 23. That's when I really had my sense of style. But I think it was also tied back to the uniform and whatnot. To this day, I, I have like family members, right? They're very big on saving, saving, saving. And now they have like uh, hip issues, right? High blood pressure, et cetera. And for what? Your bank account was full, but you didn't enjoy life. So I think for me, you know, being that I was limited, you know, with what I had growing up, I really had to change my mindset and be like, no, you know, we're in the present now. And there's always a way in which we can, you know, I don't want to say make up for the past, right? But, you know, shift our way of thinking, enjoying life, right? Because I think, yeah, it's important you save and retire for the future. But at the same time, go on a trip, go to a restaurant, do it up. Like, you want to twerk a little something? Go twerk a little something. But don't limit yourself based on your upbringing, right? And I think one of the most beautiful things I found is your environment doesn't really shape who you're going to be in the future. No, but what I could say, because my dad, he had a gambling problem. From that, I don't have a gambling bone in my body. I don't play with my money. That's how I look at it. It's like, for mm -hmm. those who play with their money, well, give me your money. I can do way much more with the money you're playing with right now. But that is something that I would, I would kind of say like a prior shift that I probably had a lot taken from me due to the fact that my dad played with his money so much that it mm -hmm. took away a lot from me. It took away a lot from my sisters, probably my mom as well. Growing up, understanding that and knowing that and seeing that, it definitely caused a, a more positive shift. So let's talk about the positive shifts. Because what I could say for myself, when I moved here, I definitely wanted to form more positive routines. I wanted to form more positive habits or some level of boundaries to know, no, I'm not available at this specific time because you know at this specific time, I'm doing this no matter who comes around. If somebody comes into town or if I'm meeting somebody or if somebody trying to like fit into my schedule, just know that that's already allotted for that you know what i'm saying so i feel like we owe ourselves that to be accountable even to ourselves. and i say that a lot too accountability is most important because we always want to hold people accountable who don't keep up with their promises or whatever but we don't always hold ourselves accountable when we say we're going to go on that trip when we say we're going to do xyz and then we always push it back push it back are you really holding mm -hmm. yourself accountable are you really keeping those positive shifts intact 
Are you building the momentum to make sure that you are pouring into yourself as well? With that said, what would you say your positive shifts would be right now? I would definitely say intention with regards to friends. You're a great example, right? You and Don are, you know, two amazing, beautiful souls, right? That light up a room, but also you move with energy. And for me, energy is such an important aspect of my life, right? Because energy is the reason I'm able to, you know, be confident and be where I am today. So for me, I'm very intentional because I've had a few fallouts in the past. One thing about me, I'm a positive, positive person. Of That has come through, you know, retraining and reprogramming myself, especially, you know, in the gay community, almost all of us, right? <laughs> we have to go through a state of depression in order to get and shift our mindset and overcome that, right? To come out um, and be, you know, our full authentic self. So for me, yeah. I had to shift my mindset, right, and really become positive. And I try to take that intention everywhere I go. This actually all came back from The Secret. It's a great book, you know. They have a movie too. Check it out. Oh, um, yeah. But it's very true, though. No, like literally. So I try to lead with intention, right? Um, when I say something, is it the truth? Am I being honest with myself? And will be the impact, right, that I'm going to make with the words I'm going to say, you know, that are coming out of my mouth. So um, I try to lead with intention and just always be positive. And a lot of that translates over to who I surround myself with as well. Outside of work, you know, I like to give back, right? Uh, first generation, didn't have any help growing up. So I'm part of this amazing program, y'all should sign up. America Needs You. Um, it's a program for first generation college students, right? A lot of them go to CUNY, you know, New York. I met a lot of my closest friends actually from that program. And this was a space with a lot of, you know, pe people of color, right? And it was nice because I got to meet other black professionals, right? And hear their struggles of how they, you know, overcame imposter syndrome, right? And so many different things in their lives. And I got to surround myself with such a beautiful, positive group of people. But at the same time, these are a positive group of people that had similar experiences, right? In addition, they also had their own different experiences that I was able to learn from, right? And really implement in my life. Okay. So what does that look like? What does it entail exactly? A great example is, right, when I first moved here to L.A., it was January 2020, right? So two months before the lockdown, I met so many dope people. Throughout that transcourse, I did meet one person, right? And this person became my buddy, right? Her and I would do brunches together, like, every weekend. Um, I would go to her house. She'd come to my house. However, this person came packed with a lot of, you know, trauma and issues that they had on their end. But they would use me as sort of an escape, right, from their problems, right? And really throw a lot of emotions and feelings onto me, right? So me at the time, right, I had never been through a pandemic, never been through any of this, and I was just absorbing this, right? And I'm an empath. And that really brought me in a state of depression where I also had to sit back and reflect on myself and really be truthful. Am I being intentional with who I am? And also, am I setting those boundaries, right? And I think that positive mm -hmm. shift that I learned which I feel, I hope most of us learned during, uh, you know, the height of the pandemic was really the boundaries. So I realized, you know, in retrospect, right, of this person draining me of my energy, I was also not mindful of the emotions and my mental health, right? And one thing that I learned, listen, Alon makes fun of me all the time, but I'm a crier. I became a crier after the pandemic. But back in the day, I used to escape my problems, right? But a lot of that was through traveling, where I would be busy. I worked three jobs in college, right? I was always out I was for the streets, okay? Listen, Sunday to Monday, you couldn't tell me nothing. I was outside, all Ooh. the happy hours, all the promoters, Ooh. you already know, indictment, some salsa. LA actually was the biggest positive shift that I could have thought of, right? It really helped me shift my paradigm to really sit down and talk to myself, right? And say, hey, what haven't you overcome? And, you know, one of those things that I did have growing up from Dominican Republic was internalized homophobia. I definitely had that. Mm. You know, you should speak a certain way. 
Um, you got to be very macho, this and that. And these were things that I was conditioned to act a certain way, right? Walk a certain way through my whole life. So moving to LA, right? And then the pandemic happening, I was stuck between four walls, right? And I had to really sit down and be honest with myself and ask, are you living your full truth? And I cried for many months um, during the pandemic. I also had to realize, you know, you need to be okay with yourself before you can even let anyone else in, right? We hear this all the time, but it's very true. So I'm intentional with that, right? Am I comfortable being alone? Am I able to sit down and have a conversation, you know, without venting to my friend, et cetera, and really be okay with sitting with my own thoughts? Um, and LA really helped me blossom, right? And now I have a beautiful tribe here that's really coming to life over the last couple of weeks. And I think all this goes back to, you know, being positive, being intentional, but also being truthful with myself, but also with people around me, right? And if I don't want to do something and I just need space for myself, set those boundaries. So I think that's the biggest lesson um, with regards to shifting uh, my mindset that I've learned. Yeah. And that's a lesson that I'm still kind of learning myself. And I think when it comes to establishing boundaries, I think it also goes to what I was saying earlier, as far as forming positive routines, that kind of helps. Because then you kind of know the bounds in which these are things that I'm interested in. These are things that I want to do. And anybody that conflicts with that, it's like, that's a no-go. You know what I'm saying? Whereas before, I was just always, I tried to be super flexible. I was like, okay, yeah, in your own time. No, that's not mm -hmm. always a good thing, you know? <laughs> so I completely relate to that. And I think I'm starting to get into that learning phase when it comes to establishing boundaries and not being flexible all the time. Because although in this day and age where time is mostly precious and it's always praised upon to be flexible, flexibility is not always a great thing. It's very much a conforming thing. And it's very draining sometimes to always be so flexible to where you're catering yeah. to everybody else but yourself. Absolutely. I think, um, you know, there's also that extra peer pressure, right? Of like social media, right? If you don't respond to a text or a message from someone, oh, you had time to do this, but you weren't able to do this event with me. And it's just a simple, you know, I didn't want to do that, right? I wanted to do my own thing or do um, something else on the side. So I think, yeah, it's always living in your truth and surrounding yourself with people who are open to that change, right? Or people who are not going to, you know, beat you up or give you that peer pressure regarding you putting yourself first, right? Because you should always put yourself first. I feel like you would also relate to this. I mean, moving from Dominican Republic to New York, from moving to New York to LA, when it comes to shifting your life and moving somewhere else completely anew, when it came to moving to LA, why did you move to LA? So that's a loaded question because I was a little bit in a little bit of a dark space. I moved to LA one for work, but I like to say I'm a powerful visionary, right? If I see something, it just, mm. you know, happens. Mm. So period, you know, hair flip two jobs ago, I used to travel um, to LA. And the first time I came here, I was like, oh, I don't like LA. This is a uh, to Hollywood. The stars were a little crusty. They weren't even as cute. I don't know what they do on TV. Maybe they polish them, but <laughs> <laughs> I would come out here for work. And I remember going to an event, which is called Ad Color. So it's basically people of color in the marketing field. And I got to meet the cast of Insecure, so many beautiful, powerful Black people, right, at that event. And I was like, wow, LA is really dope. And I just felt like this energy from the city. Six months before I made the decision to move out here, I got my first partner. I had never had a, a partner before, my little boot thing or whatever. So we dated. Mm. However, it was low key, no high key, um, a long distance relationship. Because I lived all the way at the tippity top of Manhattan, 
And then he lived in South Brooklyn. So that's a two hour train ride. For me, it was a lot of back and forth. So he would come over, he would spend weekends with me. During those weekends where we were from Friday to Sunday, I felt like, you know, I wouldn't talk to my mom. I wouldn't talk to my friends, my family. I was dedicating so much time to this one person. And I felt that I was losing myself along the way. And New York just became really repetitive to me. Like New York is home, but it was just, you know, going out to the same like bars and restaurants and doing things like that. And I realized I was getting like seasonal depression, you know, which I didn't realize, you know, in retrospect thinking my partner at the time was draining me. <laughs> I was giving him so much more attention and not thinking about myself, right? Or what I was doing for self-care. It got to the point where I didn't see my mom for two months, right? So it was a whole thing. Mm. Um, my mom was like, are you okay? What's happening? I'm not seeing you. But fast forward a few months, you know, we were having a few fallouts and we talked about it, but uh, communication was just not communicating. So the opportunity for to apply for a role in LA popped up with my job, which would be a promotion. And I talked to him about it and he supported my decision. I was willing to sacrifice myself and do a long distance relationship. Mind you, that's not me. Don't do long distance, but in November, of 2019. It was my sister's wedding. I was in Dominican Republic. Again, we had a few fallouts. He was very possessive. It was her wedding day. And he's texting me and being jealous and asking me if I'm cheating on him or sleeping around with other men, etc. You know, back in the day, I used to have my little boot thing or whatever in DR, but it wasn't that, right? I'm, <laughs> when I'm devoted, <laughs> you know. So um, we <laughs> so, <laughs> so you know, when I'm a devoted person, when I have a partner, like I don't do any of that stuff regardless, right? I'm also not like a hooker person and all that stuff. So he messages me and he's like, oh, have fun with your boyfriend. You're probably fucking him tonight, you know, after your sister's wedding. And I'm like, why would you say it to someone on a day that's supposed to be a happy day, right? For my sister getting married. So I literally told him thank you. And I didn't write to him for a whole week. And I enjoyed the rest of my trip. I had a great time with my family and whatnot. Came back, you know, separating from my partner. And then a month later was when I moved to LA, but it was all for work. Wow. But I think it happened when it needed to, because yeah. that shift to LA, again, helped me find myself. And I also realized I had things that I needed to overcome before I could even have a partner. And at the time I had trauma that I didn't unpack. So everything happens for a reason. My biggest life mantra. Wow. That's so funny because yeah, my relationship ended like right before I moved to LA as well. So we definitely have that commonality. <laughs> Period. It's funny how you, you can know? kind of boss up, you know, mm -hmm. when something bad happens or you just never know the people kind of close to you could be blocking your blessing. And I don't like to give people all that power, but it always seems to be that way. Because a lot of people have told me like, yeah, like I broke up with XYZ and then I got a promotion at my job. Like something came following after. Being that we're on that tone, would you shift your life for somebody else? Like, would you move to a new town or anything for somebody else? Do you see yourself doing that? That's a tough question because I think it really depends on the communication that has happened between you and that person, right? What is going to be the strategy, right? Like, is this person there? They're going to have a job. Can they wait for you? I'm going to be real. Real talk, my love language is physical touch. That's my number one. Okay, for okay. me, that lack of physical touch and intimacy with my partner is something that's really hard to grapple with, right? And I think a lot of reasons, which is why I was also opposed to long distance, right? I kind of lived it. You know, when there is that distance between you and your partner, if communication goes the wrong way, right, it opens a can of worms of, you know, jealousy or insecurities come up. Um, and I think, you know, if you have the proper communication, it can totally work. But then it's also that thought in the back of your mind of just like, hey, you know, what is this person doing when they're not talking to me? Things like that. That can come up naturally, right? Even without us thinking, 
you could be in conversation with someone at work and be like, oh, how's your partner, right? And then it's like, oh, what are they doing now? You know, so things like that do come up. I would, if you asked me this two years ago, I would have said, no, I would not pick up my life and move okay. someone. But I've learned you can actually do that. Like when I moved to LA, I didn't know anyone here at all. So this was a new, yeah. fresh area for me. And I really had to learn to be adaptable, right? And again, be comfortable with being alone. And with that, I also had to learn to communicate, right? And my friends in New York, those are my ride or dies. You already know, you're, those uh, <laughs> friends back home, <laughs> I had to be mindful of like, hey, you know, let me check in on them or let me see how they're doing and really be intentional with what I was remembering with regards to their life, right? So I think now if you ask me, yes, because I'm one, very comfortable being alone right i love my thoughts yeah. listen i put on a good netflix you know put on some musica and i be chilling oh so I think... my God. <laughs> don't, listen don't knock it till you try it when right? it comes to that shift in particular i will definitely have to do some mental shifts because mm. i don't see the reality in that for me but only because in my previous situations the only shortcoming of them was prioritization. And I think even in terms of how I move forward and learning about those past two situations, I feel like I had everything I could possibly ask for in a relationship scope. But what I lacked the most was priority, being a priority mm -hmm. in these people's lives. I don't expect to come first. And at times, I don't even expect to come second. I just need to be a priority. And it just seemed yeah. like everything else was priority other than me in every last one of my relationships. And I only have two. And so moving forward, that is definitely paramount for me. I could be in a relationship now when you think of, you know, emotional stability, when you think of passion, when you think of mm -hmm. all of those things, I could be in that right now if I wanted to. But when it comes to that priority word for me, that's when things begin to shift only because they put their career in focus. Mm. They put finances in focus, possessive things like material things, what they don't have. Like a lot of things come to the forefront more so than me, just in my previous experience. And so, again, that big trust word, right, that always comes into play for me when it comes to that. So I don't see myself moving for somebody. I, I That's not a reality. It's not a foresight for me. That's totally fair. And I think... You know, it does, like you said, right, it goes back to the experiences too, right, that shape us, right, and really help us yeah. find ourselves. Priority, are you saying in the sense of emotions or what, like, aspects of priority would you say? No, priority meaning, like, I can tangibly see I am a factor and I'm in the passenger seat to your life. I'm not taking a back seat to almost every damn thing that's going on in your life. I'm not the one having to save face and to be flexible all the time just because you tend to prioritize everything and I just have to be here, just be like, oh, okay, well, I understand. I don't want to do that no more. I don't want to be the understanding person no more. It's either you is or you ain't. And Period. it's either you or you not. Put yourself first. That's right, boo. That's the truth. Wow. That's the truth. <laughs> and I, I actually had a recent engagement with mm -hmm. somebody and it kind of disappointed me a little bit where somebody said they wanted to visit me. I was like, well, you know, it ain't nothing but air and opportunity. You, you make time for that. You know what I'm saying? And that's mm -hmm. nothing to me. To me, that's nothing. It's nothing to make time for something. At least give me a date. It could be five, six, eight months from now. Long as we got a date set, right? But because mm -hmm. nothing happened, 
and nothing was ever set in stone. And it was always just like one of these days, one of these days. I'm not a person you can one of these days to. Yeah. You know what I'm and saying? Again, because to mm-hmm. me, that's what strikes. It's like, I'm not priority. Anybody would be froggy and start jumping, you know? So <laughs> I get in where I fit in and I just do me. That's right. I mean, honestly, you got to put yourself first again. And I think what you were saying earlier, that really definitely resonated for sure. Just the priority part. I think it's, you know, not only you being a priority for your partner, but also you being a priority, right? When you manage your friendships and other relationships as well, you know, and just always having that top of mind. And that's one of the things that I've also had to just think, right? Priority is definitely something that really, uh, hits home for sure. Yeah. And even in terms of friendships as well, I was tested with this this past week when it comes to protecting my peace, but also maintaining some level of boundaries when it comes to my composure, how I conduct myself, and how I form tact when it comes to things that may bother me. And I feel like I passed the test with flying colors because I could have done several things a completely different way maintaining my space, maintaining my boundaries, mm-hmm. making sure that I'm not of compromise to my damn self when it comes to other energies around. And so I think trust plays a big factor in that too, in priority. Because some people don't give a fuck about whether or right. not if you and your feelings or you were bothered by a certain thing or whether or not you mm-hmm. have certain boundaries or house rules set up for your place. People violate those things all the time. And they don't yeah. want to do shifts. Even if you don't want to go out, right? Sometimes there's people that's just like, oh, I'm going to pull up or going to drag you out. No, that's important, right? That's the mental health aspect that we really need to think about and just really keep that top of mind. But I definitely agree with that 100%. I was going to say, but hold on, hold on. We got to backtrack because you got to fix your facial expressions. Your facial expressions don't be lying a lot. That's all I'm going to say. What does right? that mean? Listen, you can set all the boundaries you want, but it's going to show in your face. That's all I'm going to say. But anyway. What does that mean? Uh, explain that. <laughs> if the energy is off, right, you show it in your face. And I'm like. Oh, that's I'm the like, truth. Feel it. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I, yeah, I am a person. You can read my face. I, I won't hide it. But the, but I will say I'm not a good liar because of that reason. So I don't I don't lie a lot. So. But that's beautiful, though, because, like, that makes yeah. people trust you, right? And I think that's what helps, you know, just with the honesty standpoint, right? You know you're going to get 100%, right, Alon, which is, you know, important. It's going to come out at some point, so you might as well just go ahead and tell Listen, the truth. Listen, your mean mug game is strong. And New York, definitely, I don't know if that was New York <laughs> or... Anyway. <laughs> I cannot hide my face, but we're going to go on to reflection question, bitch. All right. So first question, what do I want my legacy to be? Ooh. Am I supposed to answer that first? Okay. Huh. Yes. So I think I want my legacy to be that I've always led with kindness and intention and that I've uplifted others with me along the way. You already know how I am, right? I love people whenever I go out. You know, if someone has something and I have the means to help them, I'm going to do that, right? And a few of those things, right? I help people with financial like budget sheets and things like that. I've helped a good chunk of people get out of debt. That's what I'm going to say, right? And I think for me, that impact, right? And really paying it forward. Because I remember when I was in that space, right? And I didn't have guidance of like credit cards, shit. I didn't know like how credit score works, you know, all that stuff. And I think me passing that 
on to others has been the most rewarding thing to me, right? To really change my mindset, a sense of a giving capacity, but also I don't take no shit, right? So like, don't take advantage of me in the way that, you know, I'm too nice. I'm always trying to uplift the community. And I think one of the proudest things I've done, which might be part of my legacy, you know, um, we had an event on LinkedIn, right? We brought in, literally, I cold called a bunch of entrepreneurs, right? Um, it was a beautiful space full of black entrepreneurs. And we had over 200 people who were looking to start their businesses, right? Come out to that event. And to me, that was the most rewarding and beautiful thing, right? To see other Black and Latinx folks really, you know, be in a space where they have this support and this guidance to start their business, right? And start this career. For me, what I've seen so much is a lot of people are scared to fail, right? Or, you know, scared to take that step. I would like my legacy. I would want people to know that I was impactful. And I was also inspirational. I feel like I was put forth on this earth to inspire and to make an impact. So those things are very, very important to me. Like, I don't want to be on this earth and leave this earth and not do anything at all. Yeah. And you're doing that, okay? Because when you become famous, right? You know, don't forget Oh, my God. All right? I want to be in a thong in Dubai, right? On a yacht. Let me stop. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Number two. If I had all the money in the world, how would I spend my time? That's a great question. Well, one, I'll be a luxury traveler. Can't tell me shit, right? We're going to be chasing oh, sunsets, you know, the beach or whatever. But no, nah, um, I would with like the actually... birds, because he a bird. A, I sure am. <laughs> chirp, chirp. <laughs> um, <laughs> it ties back with the last question, right? I'm very big on paying it forward. I would actually love to create a program to teach people Excel skills, PowerPoint, you know, like the common things that you need to go into the real world but also resume, interview prep, because I believe it's important, you know, not for nothing, you know, these white people, that's what they'll be doing, right? Because they've had that advantage, right? Um, just given the history, right? And then, you know, always trying to maintain the power, et cetera. They've had this generational wealth, right? And when people think about generational wealth, a lot of times they get fixated on money. No, knowledge is generational wealth as well, right? So for me, knowledge is one of the most powerful things. I would love, you know, to spend my time creating a program where you teach people these new skill sets, right? Uplifting other people. And then also, you know, twerking a little sign, shaking a little sign. But I would like to spend my time with that, a balance of, you know, <laughs> taking care of my mama. My mama's the world. So I would get her whatever she wants. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. I feel like if I had all the money in the world, I would spend my time doing the dream of my ancestors. I would literally be resting. I would be spending my time more wisely and working smarter and not harder and giving other people an opportunity. I think one of my hidden dreams is flipping houses. And I feel like I'll know I made it when I'm able to drop 500K on a house to flip it to make 4 million. Period. Not That's when, when I know when I've you, made it. You will. You will. You know, you got to work powerful. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. There the tongue go. is very powerful. And it's so crazy how you said knowledge is powerful because I went to lunch with somebody yesterday. Mm-hmm. And she used this analogy and it she said that her aunt gave her a book. She gave her the book of the story of Nat Turner. I don't know if everybody's aware of Nat Turner or if seen the movie with Nat Turner. It's pretty much one of those things where he grew up a slave. He was one of the slaves where he grew up so much in that system. He was one of the people that was in the house and he knew the ins and outs on how the master was navigating discipline or upkeep of the farm or the plantation or whatever have you. 
he ended up learning how to read the Bible. He then teaches mm-hmm. other people how to read the Bible. And because he had this knowledge and he knew how to get guns and things and stuff like that, like he knew all the ins and outs of that plantation. He was mm-hmm. able to form so much knowledge on not only just literacy, but also planning a rebellion because he had access to all of these things. And because mm-hmm. he had this knowledge and this access, he was the biggest threat to date because these white people, they only misunderstood black people because of what they didn't know. So when you had somebody who was leading a whole army of slaves who knew pretty much everything, he was unstoppable. Mm-hmm. They've never seen a black person ride a horse before. They've never seen a person speak so eloquently like how Nat Turner spoke. They never seen a black person mm-hmm. pick up a book and know what the fuck that book said. And so with that said, right. he was unstoppable. And it goes yeah. and it paints a narrative that knowledge is most definitely power and you are shortchanging yourself when you deprive yourself of learning things and unpacking that superpower. Yeah, that's I couldn't agree more with that. And I love that you touched on that because that's one of the biggest yeah. things I push people to do now, right? We have, think about your phone, right? This is knowledge. You have the whole world at your fingertips. So when True. somebody tells me they can't do it something, makes us lazy, that is, yes, so that's literally what I was going to say. Yeah, it's a bit of a conundrum with the phones because as much knowledge that we have with the access to these phones, these phones are literally making us stupid. We don't have a lot of tactical knowledge anymore. Like, we don't remember phone numbers no more. We Hell, we barely damn remember names. We don't remember addresses. We don't... A lot of us don't even know how to get to a place just by Mm -hmm. top of mind. Yeah, and that's scary. It is scary. So it's like, if we don't have no phone, how are we getting around? What if our phone Mm -hmm. goes dead? Now we asked out. That's probably a tactical knowledge that I actually still use to date. Now, when I first moved to New York, I was scared shitless if my phone would have died. So I got Mm -hmm. me a power bank or whatever, but I've lived there so long to the point where my phone could die and I can still know how to get home. You know what I'm saying? So I got to a point where I was less fearful of that. Whereas here, you know, I have a car now, so... I can always charge my phone in my car, so I don't have to worry about that aspect of it. But if something happens to the GPS, I'm going to be fucked because I don't know (laughs) where shit is. But I do plan on getting to know L.A. a little bit more because that is a technical knowledge that I keep in handy. I I like to know my city like the back of my hand. So if I'm lost, like I'm not exactly lost because I still know how to get to and from at least somewhere. Period. As you should, bitch. Also, download MapQuest. We're about to go to MapQuest days because listen, we gotta. Oh we gotta... <laughs> my god! And you remember that? Oh, you know, we're also losing brain cells, right? It's also going to lead to other health issues and things later on, right? Because we're not utilizing our brains to the capacity that it's there for. So listen, pull out that Sudoku, right? We're about to do these little crossword puzzles or whatever, train our brain again, but that's what we're going to have to do. Period. Number three, how is my story holding me back? Ooh. Honestly, we probably all do this, right? We have certain blind spots where we don't realize it's a habitual thing more so than a thing that is actually working. So it could be like a childhood thing. I've always done this. You know, it. Mm-hmm. You know, nothing's changed or whatever. I've always done this. Well, yeah, but is it efficient? Sometimes we form habits and lifelong habits that is no longer suitable for us. And we tend to do mm-hmm. these things just because we've always done them. 
or just because it's in blame of somebody or somebody's the scapegoat as the reason why we avoid certain things that could be helpful to us. So sometimes Mm -hmm. based on our story, our story can hold us back from having positive changes into our life. I think definitely one of the things that's really impacted me and I would say what's holding me back is I'm actually the type of person that I do love change, right? So for me, I think the habit of a routine is not something that's really ingrained in me. And I think Mm -hmm. that's also something, you know, along with me finding myself right, being comfortable being alone, I think it's also held me back in the sense of a partner, right? Because I'm the type of person I like to be very spontaneous, constantly be on my toes, right? And for me, the routine of things is something that I feel is holding me back. Literally worked two to three jobs all the way from high school into college. And I was always jumping jobs to make more money, right? So that was a habit that it still transparently follows me to this day, right? When I leave a company, it's intentional because I want to, you know, keep making more money. And the reason for that is because I still support my mom, right? And I think for me, it's the habit of, you know, I've always supported my mom growing up, et cetera, because she abandoned her whole family, her friends, everyone back home to give me a better future. And I think it's that immigrant mentality, right? Or where we have this sort of like guilt or we feel like we're indebted, right, to our parents. And I still very much feel that to this day, right? Listen, when I worked my three jobs, I knew I would come home in college and I would have a meal at home and whatnot. My mom took care of me. And for me, I'm super grateful, right? Because I would never be in the position I am without that. But along the way, me, I would always jump around, right? So not only am I always jumping around with jobs, but my personal life, right? I'm not used to routine because my life has always been a little bit chaotic, right? In the sense of, you know, I'm always craving and yearning this additional change, right? And that I feel has also limited me and finding that consistency, you know, maybe with a partner or a job where I'm truly thriving, right? Because I'm limited because I have to think about the financial component and my learning, my challenge, you know, it's just not a routine. So I thrive in chaos. I actually really much enjoy change. I don't know if I told you this ever, actually. My minor in college is philosophy. I can understand that because philosophy, there's no wrong answers. You could just pretty much talk your way. And Wilson is a talk, talk, chatty patty. I am. (laughs) But you love me, though. Stop playing. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) So there was this philosopher, right? Heraclitus, right? You know, that's my baby zaddy. So Heraclitus, um, (laughs) his philosophy was, that change in one direction is ultimately balanced by a corresponding change in another. He really changed my mind to really continue this adaptation to change, right? Because our life is always in a flux, but it's always a matter of how you react to it. And my reaction has always been, I'm chilling, I'm cool, but I crave and you're in change just due to this, right? Because for me, I feel like something's going to change, but it'll eventually balance out. One of the things, you know, that I feel has been limiting me is just being okay with taking a slow and a constant, right? Which is why I appreciate you because now we're doing this constant of yoga. And at one point I did have this balance, right? Where exercise was my constant and then I fell off. So I think it's allowing me to get that balance again, you know, through yoga and exercise. I feel like when it comes to my story holding me back, what I could say, a habit that I formed based on just generation. I came from a family, they're not expressive. And they're not affectionate. And so with both of those things in tandem, they're not the most vulnerable people. And I think vulnerability only comes in a form of if somebody's upset or if somebody's angry or if somebody's sad, you know, those those are the only times. It doesn't come at a standard communication level. And I feel like vulnerability should always be at some form of a standard. With that said, 
I was always vocal, but I think it would only come in in a place where it was high frustration. And I had to change that narrative where I could be expressive. I could be vulnerable. And it doesn't have to come in unhealthy or bottled in type of fashion. It could just come in just in simple conversation on what I require. And I'm still going through that. Those are still things that I learned because a lot of times we get into things, especially when it comes to people close to us, where we don't want our feelings to hurt somebody else's feelings. Or we consider somebody so much to where it become a detriment to us. I think once we get over that hump of feeling like, oh, I'm going to hurt their feelings and we actually become vulnerable, we might allow ourselves an opportunity to have that person then become vulnerable and express their self the same. So I would say that that was something that held me back when it came to having a hard exterior and not being as vulnerable. Yes. No, I love that. And I feel like, I don't know, you and I, at least, we've had a, a number of vulnerable moments, but I think it comes back to, you know, that authenticity, right? And living your truth. And, you know, it's also reading the room, right? And the energy that someone gives off, because you can't be vulnerable with everyone, to your point, right? But that vulnerability, you know, it really helps you also find just deeper things within yourself, right? Or maybe trauma that you might have buried, right? That you didn't know was there. That's creating these habits that you have now. Right. So that vulnerability is key. And I always say this because that's something that I also have to come to, to grips with because, you know, you need to be vulnerable. Right. Especially if you think about your partner um, and whatnot, they it's important that they love and see you in all stages. Right. And that vulnerability will just allow for a deeper level of intimacy and communication. Right. Yeah. I couldn't agree more with that for sure. Yeah. Number four. What is the recurring problem in my life and how can I solve it? Wow. I just feel like I'm in therapy. Damn, bitch. Um, so a recurring <laughs> Um, a recurring problem I would say from my end is staying grounded and also staying in one place. So for me, sounds like an air sign to me. Listen, listen, it sure is. So <laughs> I get bored. <laughs> I get bored. Got a Gemini here, y'all. Me. But we the best. You, listen, you'll never be bored with the Gemini, so don't come for me. Shit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anyway, for me, I would say just staying grounded, right? For years ago, I used to be a person of habit, right? I would like at least like do my yoga. I would do running. I had a knee injury or whatever, so you know we trying to get back into it but i used to run eugene <laughs> alon called me eugene because i'd be breaking my legs and falling <laughs> and shit we could fight alon listen don't make me come to this this voice this voiceover so what i was saying was uh with regards to that for me it's just staying grounded right and really creating a habit again because i don't like routine and i'm always craving a change so i want to stay grounded in the sense of you know, maybe stay in LA for like three or four months consistently, right? Without hopping on a plane or escaping to New York or doing something that's going to keep me out of that. Because I feel like now it's been hard for me to kind of create good habits because I'm always doing something different or I'm always planning a trip here or a weekend there or doing another activity that doesn't allow for that consistency. So for me, I want to get back into, you know, my healthy shit or whatever, you know, summer's coming, we're about to be outside, but not only for summer, right, but for the rest of my life, right? I want to get back to practicing yoga, wellness, and a lot of that just comes from my past experiences. My air sign ass is going to create a routine and, you know, stay grounded in LA for a little bit. (laughs) Yes, I would say a recurring problem for me is developing trust. I think 
Ooh, that's gonna be a hard one. Once I actually do it, it's gonna I'ma see the light. I teeter with like, is trust earned or is it given? Mm. I don't know which one comes first, <laughs> the chicken or the egg. I don't know. But uh <laughs> now I constantly battle with that because I think I've had a long road of disappointment casually and intimately. I would say not having mm-hmm. trust has burned me more than having trust, but also having trust has led me through rows of disappointment where I didn't necessarily get burned, but it disappointment hurts just as worse as a burn, you know? Oh, I was going to say, did you learn anything along the way, though? Oh, absolutely. Life is a lesson, that's for sure. And mm-hmm. I'm grateful for it. I think trust is like the main thing for me because it started from a very early age. A lot of people, they trust their parents to the death of them. They trust that their parents are going to be there and support them and guide them. And I didn't necessarily have that experience outright. You know, I had to learn even in that. That was like a primary relationship. I had to learn how to trust to certain degrees. So again, trust Mm -hmm. is always a working thing for me. What would you say? Is there anything that you look for when you're trying to build that trust? Like, what are there any like you know, common themes or something particular? I would like to say, and see, this is that teeter, right? I would like to say that I give trust before trust is ever earned because I don't want anybody to feel like they have to go through an initiation process with me. I'm not that tough guy type of person because I need to fill you out and I'm equally as accountable to having snakes around me just as well as sheep. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So... A lot of people, when they say they have trust issues and then they then project it on new people in their life, it's a lack of accountability because sometimes we also ignore certain signs that are slapping us in the face. And then, Mm -hmm. you know, when it slaps us in the face, then we want to say, oh, you're you're not trustworthy or whatever. No, you ignore the signs. So it's sometimes it could be at a lack of an accountability. So I also want to be accountable. And so that's why I teeter on is trust given or trust earned because I would like to say that I do give trust outright, but it always leads to a level of disappointment to where it creates resentment or regret. No, that makes a lot of sense. I think you touched on something that's important, right? When we're in that moment or, you know, whether it be a relationship or a friendship, we're kind of blinded. We'll see the signs, right? But you love or care so much for a person that it blinds you a little bit, right? Yeah. And that's why it's important to also have people in your circle, like to your point, right, that are going to keep you accountable, right? And also tell you the truth, um, hopefully nicely, right? Not too, not too harsh, but, you know, the truth is important. And for someone to tell you, you know, their observation. But at the same time, what I like to do, though, is I like to ask people questions to see if they've observed the same things that I've observed. So then we can kind of meet halfway, right? And it's a little bit of a softer blow. But I think that's important, right? Just to be that voice of reason when you see someone in a position that could possibly go, you know, the wrong way. And at the end of the day, you know, it's their choice. It's going to be their life. Um, we can only give so much feedback. But a lot of that comes with, to your point, right, trust and vulnerability. I feel like it's a balancing act, right? Like Queen of Circus. Number five, how can I turn regret into motivation? Oh, that is very deep. It's a matter of how you react to situations, right? And I think mm-hmm. oftentimes we get so fixated in the immediate that we don't think about the future or the past and how that may have impacted to where we are today. A good example of that for me, years ago, when I first whatever, was in college, I didn't get my first internship whatever until I was a senior in college. And for me, I had that regret of like, oh my gosh, I'm not doing enough. I'm not going to get a job, et cetera. But I shifted my mindset and I was like, hey, 
no, I have 12 months. I can do it. I thought I was the shit, right? Back in the day. So I went there and homegirl gave me a one out of 10 on my resume. And I, in that moment, actually regretted going to the career center because I used to be that bitch, all right? My resume was always popping. And then now this woman is telling me it's a one. So I got offended and I was like, nah, I'm better than, you know, what she's telling me. And at the time I had told her, I'm going to work for Goldman Sachs and whatnot. And she told me you're aiming too high. So one, she doubted me, telling me I'm aiming too high. And then two, I had the regret of going there because I thought my resume was great. So I took that regret of going and I was like, you know what? I'm going to make it positive. And when I tell you every night I was studying resumes and I became a resume bitch, okay? Like people come to me. And I will do your resume because fast forward actually like two weeks later, right? I, after I spent every night <laughs> doing resumes, mock interviews, et cetera, I went back and she gave me a 10 on my resume afterwards. And she was actually proud of me for taking, you know, her feedback constructively and shifting my mindset. She doubted me, right? One, but then she was also realistic with me and told me the truth. I was aiming high at the time, but that wasn't something that's going to limit me. But my resume, I took that to heart and that regret, I turned it into a positive. And that's something I do with my life in general, right? At one point, I was 30K in debt. I can say that proudly now because I'm debt free, thankfully. But when I was in that moment, I had to support my family and I was unemployed at one point and I was putting my rent on my credit card. I was young and dumb, all right? Everything happens for a reason, you learn. And I got into $30,000 worth of debt. I had panic attacks. I wasn't in a good mindset. I didn't want to eat. And I have regrets of putting those, those items on my credit card. And now that I shift back in retrospect, I'm like, no, it happens for a reason. Because I learned good financial habits later on. And I learned how to spend my money, but also save for my future, right? And it took me getting to debt and being in that place of fear and not knowing, you know, what tomorrow's going to look like. Or if I even had enough money to, I don't know, buy a plane ticket, right, et cetera. Because all my credit cards are maxed out and I had that that panic, right? And it kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier, right? With a change in one direction, it's ultimately balanced by another change, right? So life is really how you react to it and it's really reprogramming your mind so that there shouldn't be any regrets or, you know, any experiences that weren't necessary. Because sometimes we can't control things, but we can control how we react. And I think even this question, it was inspired by Dawn last episode where she said that her biggest regret was not spending enough time with family. And she second-guessed herself in saying, why did I commit to chasing my dreams or moving when I could have been spending family time because now that family's now gone? And she then took that regret or second-guess and turned it into her motivation to push forward. And I would have to say there are ample amount of times where I've done that. My biggest regret just in life was not applying myself when I was at a preparatory school in middle school. Mm -hmm. I would play around and I would want to go outside and I never want to do my homework. I would never actually want to apply myself. I didn't have the structure. I didn't have the motivation. I didn't have the support system to give myself the academic confidence that I needed. And because of that, that that's been my biggest regret because I'm like, had I applied myself at an earlier age, ain't no telling what I would have been now. But where I am now is exactly where I need to be. So that's not even like a factor, right? That's where the regret then turns into motivation. You know, it cancels out because I take that and I just think, well, no mistakes were made. I learned my lesson already. And I then applied that and said, no, I'm going to make something of this. It's not going to be my circumstance. It's not going to be 
my end all be all. My narrative, I'm yeah. still writing. I love that. And that's life, right? You should always still be writing it. It should never, you should never limit yourself. And I love that you have that mindset now, right? Because, you know, maybe you going outside and playing, right? That gave you social skills and life skills that you weren't going to learn in the classroom, but you did yeah. learn that later on. And I feel like, if anything, that put you ahead, right? Because a lot of things that people are lacking now in general are those social cues, right? And that emotional intelligence. And you might have learned that outside of the classroom. And that's why I always say, you know, school is an artificial environment, right? You really got to go outside, fail, get up, fail again, you know, multiple times to really learn from it. Facts. Last question. How can I look at life through a lens of gratitude? I think, honestly, just gratitude for even getting up right every morning is something that I'm super grateful for. Now, this is something personal. I actually had an aunt. She passed away. And I, wow, damn, now I'm getting emotional. Oh, shit. She was very heavy. Ended up passing away due to sleep apnea in her sleep. So she was rushed to the hospital. And at the hospital, she was actually in the ICU. And then she had a heart attack in that moment. So for me... I think one of the things I'm most grateful for is really just getting up every morning, right? And then I'm awake, right? That's one. And then two, grateful, right, to even be on this earth, right, and experience the things that we're experiencing. Every moment, in my eyes, at least, is a moment of gratitude. Um, it's just a matter of how you look at things. Yeah. Special nod to exactly what you said, the secret. Being grateful for what you have and not concentrating on what you don't have, what's not in front of you, because it could be far worse. And that's when I actually started to understand what the secret meant and law of attraction and all of those things when I didn't have it. You know, I was unemployed and I didn't know mm -hmm. the light was coming my way. I didn't know when it was, you know. So when that happened, I began to practice more gratefulness on what I had. The fact that I was still able to live where I was living and you know, I didn't have to owe anybody. I was still paying everything on time. Like, that's a moment of gratefulness. That's a moment of being present. And mm -hmm. it has allowed me and afforded me to now accept it, anything that would have came my way. Because I was already grateful for what I had. And I think it takes us being in those dark moments, right? Or, you know, that fear for us to later on when we overcome it to reflect and be like, oh, that wasn't as bad as I thought, or, you know, why was I stressing, or why did I have anxiety over it? And again, that just comes back to mindset. So it's always a journey along the way, and it's just a matter of really appreciating it, you know, as your life develops. And life is always developing. I don't care if you're 90 years old. Listen, your life is always going to, something will be happening, right? So um, really just enjoying the journey, because we have a long life to live. Absolutely. And thank you so much, Wilson, for showing up and telling your story. Would you like to promote? You can find me. I'm single. I'm ready to mingle. You can find me on Wilson oh underscore God. T25 on Instagram. Thank you so much for, you know, really allowing me, um, you know, the space to be vulnerable and share my perspective with you. Um, it's always a pleasure seeing y'all crazy facial expressions, but Absolutely. Because that's what you're going to get here. It's a whole mood, baby. And yes, you can always follow a whole mood at a whole mood podcast on Instagram. I'm Alon. That's Wilson. A whole mood. Mm -hmm. Mean Old Lion Media, where black and brown voices truly matter.